0: And because we already were in the spirit of building race cars and winning these competitions, it was easy for us to say, okay, let's stop our studies for another year. Let's go for it. Let's win this competition. And we were successful. We won the first Hyperloop competition by SpaceX. And that launched us immediately into a company. We managed to raise investments from the, the Dutch Railways, from regional funds, from Angels. And from there, we just started growing.
1: Hello everybody, I'm recording this intro from a hotel in LA as I'm attending the All In Summit, the conference organized by the besties from the All In Podcast. I highly recommend you check them out if you haven't already. The lineup for the summit is absolutely glorious. You have the best founders and investors in the world and this is without any sort of exaggeration. You have from rock stars entrepreneurs like Elon Musk, CEO of Tesla and SpaceX, Tobias Lutke, founder and CEO of Shopify, Brian Armstrong from Coinbase to world-class investors like Ray Dalio, Bill Gurley and Vinod Koshla, just to name a few. And if this was not enough, also you have sprinkled some world-class creators like Mr. Beast and Alexandra Botez. My gosh, what a treat. Now let's focus on today's episode with Marsh Hauser, one of the co-founder of Heart Hyperloop. Heart Hyperloop is one of the leading teams in the world working to bring the concept of Hyperloop to life. A short primer on the Hyperloop It's a new transportation system where vehicles float on magnetic fields and move through low-pressure tubes. It is incredibly energy efficient, using only 10% of the energy needed for roads and aviation and 50% less energy than rail. Not only does the Hyperloop produce no noise, vibration or pollution, but it also doesn't intersect with other infrastructures. The Heart Hyperloop team is a talented and ambitious team coming from Delft University. They were building race cars before taking on the challenge of building a Hyperloop. During this episode, we discuss about how they moved from building race cars to winning the SpaceX Hyperloop competition, the complexity of building infrastructure, and their strategy of building a system that can get adopted globally and become standardized. Enjoy! And before we get started, let's give a thanks to our sponsor today. This episode is brought to you by Zoom. Whether you need some focus time or want to collaborate with your hybrid team, Zoom One is the all-in-one platform designed to power your workday. Collaborate with your team and clients across phone, video, messaging, whiteboards, and even connect your favorite work apps so you can focus on getting things done. Simplify your workday and keeping your global team connected. Visit zoom.ventureeurope.eu/10 this is zoom.ventureeurope.eu 10 to get in touch and learn more about their broad offering. Also, this episode is brought to you by Brevo, the platform that helps you grow your business with intuitive marketing and sales tools such as automation and marketing campaigns over email, SMS, WhatsApp, chat, and much more. No matter the size of your business or your industry, Brevo has you covered. Over 500,000 brands around the world have built better customer relationships thanks to Brevo's complete CRM suit. Head to brevo.com, that is B-R-E-V-O, and get 30% off on the annual marketing plans by using the code, you guessed, Venture Europe. And now, let's go and talk with Marsh. Marsh. Yeah, just Marsh like the planets. Mars, Mars. Okay, Mars. And the second one is Koze. That's good enough. Or like uh,
0: Goze. Yeah, we, the and difficulty th- in Dutch is that we pronounce the G very guttural. So it's kh, So we say Goze. Uh, Goze. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, lived
1: f- actually in Amsterdam for four years. So, oh, right. so yeah, I tried, I've tried to pick up a little bit of the, of the G's. <laughs> yeah. Let's start with the founding story of Heart Hyperloop. Maybe actually we can focus
0: on like why is it called Heart Hyperloop? Coming up with the name was actually one of the biggest challenges of uh, of founding uh, the company but we had two very clear values that we wanted to have uh, represented in the name. One of them was the passion that we have for our mission and for our product uh, and that was heart with a t in Dutch h-a-r-t is your heart uh, and the other one was that we want to establish a really solid product right we are building infrastructure it needs to be safe people need to trust it so that was hard with a d Uh, and together that was hard with dt and the moment that it we said it it immediately clicked and then the funny thing is that hard in dutch also means fast so that makes it a triple uh, meaning (laughs) love it and maybe you can give us a little bit the
1: background of what's a hyperloop I would assume that a lot of our listeners already know about the Hyperloop. Maybe some of the techies, they already read maybe the blueprint that Elon Musk posted, I don't know how many years ago, but what is, yeah, what is a Hyperloop?
0: Hyperloop is a new mode of transportation where vehicles travel through a network of low pressure tubes uh, and these vehicles are magnetically guided, so they never touch the track. So because you have a low pressure, There's almost no aerodynamic resistance. So you use almost no energy, 10 times less energy than aviation or road transport. And because you don't touch the track, because you levitate magnetically, you also don't have any wear and tear. You generate no noise, no vibrations. So it's a new transport system that will allow us to accommodate the large growth in demand. The demand will grow about two and a half times towards 2050 worldwide. And all of our transport systems are at capacity and it's very difficult to expand them. Uh, but we believe that a hyperloop will be easier to implement. Uh, it has little impact on the environment. You can obscure it with plants, with other types of infrastructure so that you don't really see it. Uh, and it provides with one tube the same capacity as six highway lanes. So it can really channel us into uh, the future of transport. And yeah, the last benefit is that it can actually go up to the same speed as an airplane. So it can be used both for intercity trips to connect cities that are now maybe one or two hours away from each other and turn them almost into a single urban system. But it can also be a complete alternative for aviation so that you don't no longer need to fly on a continental basis.
1: I, I travel quite a lot between Copenhagen, Oslo and Stockholm. So it's this triangle of love and hate between the Scandinavians. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but after being in France and in Tokyo, I start to do some napkin calculations or like mental calculations. This is a like a trip that takes me six six hours, six mm-hmm. to seven hours, by train or by bus. But if they would have a TGV or the equivalent in Tokyo, this would be like a two-hour trip that would just impact, in my opinion, the economies so much because people then would travel much more from Oslo to Copenhagen, from Oslo to Stockholm, and vice versa. I don't want to even think of the possibilities of actually having a Hyperloop. So this is one of those examples that is just like a 10 times improvement in exactly. something. I was wondering, what is the founding story? When did you and Tim and maybe other co-founders met? What were the tests that you've done? And when were you like, okay, let's go all
0: in with this? Yeah, we are with four founders. So Tim Houter, Sasha Loma, Marine van der And we actually met It's almost exactly 11 years uh, ago, and we all joined a Formula team. So they built uh, Formula racing cars. So we all joined that, and we we built racing cars for two years, uh, competing in uh, competitions worldwide, breaking world records. And around that time, uh, there was a paper about Hyperloop, uh, published by Elon Musk. Uh, And we were already saying, wouldn't it be cool if we could also do something about this, uh, maybe make a prototype for it? Uh, and then he organized a competition. And because we already were in the spirit of building race cars and winning these competitions, it was easy for us to say, okay, let's stop our studies for another year. Let's go for it. Let's win this competition. And we were successful. We won the first Hyperloop competition by SpaceX. And that launched us immediately into a company. We managed to raise investments from the, the Dutch railways, from regional funds, from Angels. And from there, we just started growing. And personally I was always already interested in improving our transport and mobility. I always felt it was a little bit silly that everybody was sitting in their own car taking so much space both in the parking lots on the park in the streets on the roads, very inefficient. And the dream has always been to make some kind of a system that doesn't really impact the environment. So when this came out, it was the if we can if this is the way that we can get started we win this competition and launch it from that. It was the perfect way to, to start the company.
1: And how did you assess the risk of starting a startup? Or you were just like in your studies, you didn't think that much about risk. Did you have some money aside? Should you continue studies? Did you have to talk with your co-founders, with your parents? How, like, how did you guys assess the risk? We
0: were not afraid to take calculated risks. Uh, in this case... During your studies, you can still borrow some money, right, from the government to at least cover your living expenses. So that's that. It's easy to survive during those those shooting years. But we already had investors lined up when we were close to finishing the the competition. So it was pretty clear to us that at least we could proceed as a company. And then you've got an 18-month runway to really uh, set it up from there. But of course, I did have my concerns whether Hyperloop really was the right solution, right? I had to make sure that Hyperloop actually makes socioeconomic and financial sense before basically investing my life into this, right? Because this is a marathon. This is not a a sprint to get something on the market. So we spent quite a bit of time also in the early months to really assess what is the issues that our current transport system have and also what their upgraded versions have, the digitized and the electrified versions and how Hyperloop can solve those issues, but also that the ridership that you would get can repay the infrastructure, because if it doesn't make financial sense and there's no roads to get it from where we are to where we need to go, it will also not happen. Uh, so we, we we just did our own due diligence, say, to make sure that it's, the system is correct, and then we just went for it.
1: What did you find that would be the biggest challenge? You would be, okay, this kind of makes sense. This is going to solve most of the problems that previous transportation and their upgrades have, but these technological issues are going to be our biggest challenges.
0: Yeah, I, I would say it's not even the technological issues. I would say that the biggest issue is that you simply need to build a new infrastructure. And it's, it seems easier to just electrify airplanes, electrify cars, right? So that's the first step that the governments take, let's electrify everything. The issue is that even if you electrify a car, it uses the same amount of space, it has the same amount of fine dust emissions, it uses has the same kind of noise. You don't really solve those issues really sustainably. But yeah, we need to build a new infrastructure. In order for that to happen, we need to be able to convince people that it works, that it's safe, that you can integrate it into the environment easier than a train or road or the expansion of an airport. And that takes a lot of demonstration and it takes a lot of also external parties to take a qualified look at it. Basically as a third party, check those uh, numbers and verify that. But because the big vision is so big, uh, it's also quite costly to demonstrate those steps in between. You need quite a lot of investments to demonstrate a first step. So that is always our challenge. You just have to do this step-by-step approach, uh, break up the project into bite-sized elements that you can demonstrate a new thing, demonstrate the integrated test, demonstrate uh, a a risk reduction of the high-speed operations, demonstrate that you can safely exit and enter a vehicle, and so on. And from there, you just do more demonstrations, raise more funds, and get there. But for the long term, I think just the spatial integration and the planning of this network is going to take the longest time. And that's why we put so much emphasis on making the loop easy to construct and easy to obscure, so that it's there will not be a lot of people against the implementation.
1: How do you break this immense problem that probably requires tens, if not hundreds of billions of euros to build? How do you break it down? Okay, this is our milestone. We're going to raise 10 million euro. and. I think you guys have raised up until now around 30 million euros. Mm -hmm. So that's just very little money based on how many stakeholders you have or you should try to liaise with a lot of stakeholders. Like, how do you go about creating these milestones? What are the proof points that you always want to have? Because on one side, I guess, you want to be nimble and agile. You want to have all this kind of proof points. At the same time, you want to have this vision that you see
0: that the proof points goes towards? Yeah, we actually pride ourselves in that we managed to do quite a lot with quite a limited amount of funds. Yeah, so we are, we're very capital efficient and we just really focus on those proof points, which we think make the biggest impact on the end on realizing the Hyperloop. For example, one of the things that we really believe in is this lane switch. We have a lane switch without any moving components. This is one of the biggest bottlenecks in rail because the lane switch is in the rail there. That's the part that moves, and that means that before the next train can approach, you need to make sure that the switch is in the right position. But on the highway, there's no switch in the track, right? It's just the vehicle selecting which way to follow, and then you can have a very high frequency of vehicles. So that's what we want to have in Hyperloop as well. It's more like a highway, a very high frequency of vehicles. To be able to do that, you need to have a lane switch without moving components. The lane switch needs to be on the vehicle. So that's what we do then. We say, okay, let's build a test facility where we can demonstrate that the vehicle can make a lane switch. And then we minimize the the track complexity as much as possible just to show that specific use case, which really enables the long-term network effects. And this is an example of how we select a specific technology that we want to demonstrate and then just focus on that. And in preparation for that, we build prototypes, for example, like a track that vibrates very quickly, and then we levitate the magnet underneath it so that we can demonstrate that we can filter out all the vibrations from the track, which simulates as if you're traveling across a track so that you de-risk those high-speed operations. And that is what our investors want to see, right? They want us to see that we can de-risk all those challenges that we will have to scale up the system. We really make it into as small steps as possible so that we can fund them. And we have a very clear roadmap on steps to have, that we have to take. And yeah, in the end, we still have some steps to take, but we do believe that around 2026, 2027, we will have finished all the steps but just allow us to start scaling up.
1: And what are the next milestones that you want to achieve? And, and then how do you go in parallel with investors? Do you always have to raise every 12 months to show it? Can you raise actually a bigger amount? Or do you think it's actually more healthy for you and your team to be nimble? We only want to raise this because actually constraints make us a little bit more creative.
0: Yeah, we we typically raise funding for 18 months. uh, And then within those 18 months, we always have a milestone that we achieve and demonstrate. And then from then on, we raise the next uh, funding. So we are now finalizing the test track with the lane switch, the European Hyperloop Center. It will be an open test track, which means that other companies in the world can also come test there. And there's also several companies that have already shown interest to come test there. And therefore it will really become uh, a supporting basis for establishing a worldwide standard for Hyperloop. And that one will be finished Q1 2024. And then most of the tests will be done around Q2, Q2 2024, and on the basis of that will allow us to raise our next investment uh, again. From there on, we will make full-scale system, full, sorry, full scale prototypes uh, of all of the subsystems that still need to be further demonstrated. For example, the boarding and onboarding of passengers, the repurposation of the tubes when there's an emergency evacuation, so that in 26, 27, we can do a, a full-scale prototype and start scaling up from there. What is your funding strategy right now. So how much do you want to raise after you have this proof point in Q1 2024? Uh, We're always combining different types of uh, funds. We're very well connected within the European uh, public sector funding as well. Uh, So we can always match the private investments with public investments. And then all of that equity funding can then again be matched with uh, public grants. Uh, So there's always a massive leverage effect on every euro invested in equity uh, from the private sector. So that's the strategy that we also have. And the reason that we can do that also is because we will bring massive public benefits and also the public sector understands that they will build the infrastructure. They see a lot Mm. of benefits of having a hyperloop rather than the other types of infrastructure. And they're already looking into how they can start procuring that infrastructure. And that is really what enables our market, because we, in the end, we don't want to build infrastructures we want to be in a much higher profit margin, which is delivering the vehicles, which is where all the, the technologies like levitation, the guidance, the propulsion, the lane switching, the safety systems for the passengers are in. So we are enabling, we're quite efficient with our funds because we focus on those technologies. And the public sector is more focused on delivering the infrastructure. If I understand correctly, then you need
1: to have a continuous dialogue and also this proof point with someone from the public, because in the end, they will have to say, okay, we see the proof point, you've done a very systematic breakdown or solving of all the bottlenecks in the technology, and we see that this is scalable. Now we feel comfortable enough to build... I don't know how many 100 like how many kilometers probably in the beginning or hundreds of kilometers and then we'll purchase from you the wagons how do you call them like, do you call them the wagons or bullets bullet trains or
0: <laughs> and a lot, there's lots of names uh, vehicles pods uh, capsules we we just call them vehicles because it's a very generic name for uh, for something that moves But yeah, that's exactly how it works. So there's several governments in the world now preparing an investment into a very short test track. We're talking about a few kilometers. So most of these governments are looking at budgets of 50 to several hundred million euros to start building those short routes. And we are converging with several other hyperloop companies on the specifications of that track. So the technologies are then in the vehicles, but we just need to define... But the specifications of the track are so that governments around the world can just build those and be sure that they are on a specification that will be used worldwide right because that massively reduces the risk for the governments to build it uh, and that's the process that we're in right now several of those are being developed at the same time we're also talking about what the entire network could look like and how you scale those kilometers to say first connections between airports and city centers new neighborhoods and existing rail stations Uh, connecting cities at several tens of kilometers and then scaling it up to finally building out the network so talking um say cross-national governments like uh, the european commission directly to national governments to state and provincial level and municipality we're we're basically discussing on all levels to ensure that you get a smooth process from the shortest sections to uh, to network operation i've looked on who
1: invested so far i didn't see any well-known vc on the cap table I do think this is too early. The risks are too big for them. They still want to see some proof points. Are you already in dialogue with them? They give you a sense what you need to achieve and when they could come in because also this is a high risk but just like a huge return possibility if this works out and it seems that you're just very diligent to go through the milestones.
0: We've taken a more sort of step-by-step approach in the first years of development and we managed to fund that through the means that we had with the investments of the Dutch Railways, Angels, some of the public private funds, Energy, uh, which also has private funding, but also uh, funding from the European Commission. We've now closed an investment from the European Commission themselves. uh, And this also brings a lot of credibility to the private sector because it shows that Europe is willing to really invest into this technology. We are now coming to a point where venture capital starts to make more sense because the the governments are now starting to really pick this up it's not really a technology push anymore it's starting to become a market pool Uh, and this will start making a very visible order book for us right because these are long-term projects but you do know that when they're there you can expect approximately how many kilometers will be built and how many vehicles will be taken off so that means that we can already start planning a little bit what our order book will look like towards 2030. And that starts to become a very attractive exit. Because if we can build a company towards 2030 with a big order book with lots of government starting to invest into Hyperloop, that makes it an exit opportunity to any kind of player in a market that's currently in rail or aviation who will see a lot of their markets change to a new modality. So we're we're also not necessarily competing with those systems. It's more like a complementary system, and also industries, uh, current industries, can play a role in that. So there is this fast train here in Oslo.
1: It only goes from Oslo S to the airport, and it goes five minutes faster than the normal train. But the price is twice as much. I think it's like twice as much. And I think most of the people take the fast train, (laughs) right? It's just crazy. It's just just a little bit faster. So I think people would always vote with their wallet for convenience and how fast it goes. So I think it's just very exciting what, what you guys are building. So if I understand correctly, you guys are preparing for a new funding round in Q1 2024 or Q2 2024, where you'll be much more comfortable to take a conversation with venture capital firms where you can actually show a path, not only to profitability and to having clients in an order book, but also to exit by 2030. This is the funding strategy now.
0: Exactly, yeah. We are, we are starting conversations with uh, venture capitalists for our next investment round, And after launching the European IPLIP Center, it's a very logical moment to, to close this round. Possibly you could start a little earlier because it will help in in growing faster uh, and there's still a lot of things that we need to uh, develop further and the faster we can get this to market, the better, of course. But that's the, logical, that's the logical timing.
1: Did you have any moments in your journey where you
0: were, shit, I don't think this is going to work? Completely at the start, of course, I was health- had a healthy skepticism about Hyperloop because I wanted to make sure that I was really going to dedicate my life to something that works. Once we went through the numbers, I was sure this was gonna happen also because technologically we have a solution for everything and it's just an engineering challenge to integrate it though into a, a great product but there's not really any showstoppers on the way what we have had of course along the way is that to try to get this to market you try all sorts of paths and some are less successful than others right so we had to shift the story that we're telling as a roadmap that we had sometimes along the way to really make sure that it it fits, that the narrative makes sense and that it's also fundable that way. Uh, But I've never lost uh, the trust in that we're doing the right thing.
1: And which cities do you think will be connected first?
0: I believe that you will probably see the first hyperloops in cities that are really pioneering and are striving to get to the top, right? maybe not necessarily the biggest cities, but those who really have the spirits to demonstrate that they deserve their spot on the map. We're talking to quite a few cities, there's 13 or 14 maybe now even cities in Europe, for example, that have already signed up to our hyper-connected Europe initiative, which means that they're actively looking into building a hyperloop in their region, how to connect it to the existing transport systems, how to integrate it into the spatial planning, seeing where can I start with just a few kilometers where it's already functional. Other places like in India, in the Gulf region, in China, in South Korea, where they're also already looking into a, a possible short routes. So I, I can't really say like this city will probably be it yeah, because it's also always a political issue and you will have changing governments also in the timeframe towards actually building the first one. But I just see that there are so many places that are already looking at it that... Yeah, the chance is very high that we'll see the first one being operational by the end of this decade, 2030.
1: 2030, amazing. How hard is it to create this type of standard or protocol together with other teams across the world that are trying to build this technology? Is it a hard discussion to have? Uh, Does everyone try to be at the forefront to copy their technology because they want to say that they were first Are you guys leading the pack a little bit? What does it look like?
0: The nice thing is that a lot of the companies are independently already converging towards the same technology, simply because there's just a lot of benefit of doing it that way. And that is basically levitating from the top. So you've got steel tracks on the top of the tube, and then you basically hang from that with magnets. And the reason why that's what parties are converging to is that because it's a very simple track. It's just steel tracks. And by levitating from the top, there's nothing that blocks you from then pulling yourself either right or left so that you have a zero moving component lane switch. What parties are also converging to is putting the motor inside the vehicle because you want the infrastructure to be as simple as possible. So just, again, a steel track in the infrastructure and then a motor on the vehicle side that pulls itself along that steel track. And this is the most logical uh, way to do it because there are some parties who do believe that they can put their technology inside the infrastructure, but that will make it very difficult for governments to select because they don't wanna put a monopolist on the market and they wanna be minimize their capital expenditure and they wanna have be able to tender this out and get many different proposals. Mm. Uh, so that's why you see multiple companies already converging to this specification. And therefore I think it's very likely that's the one that's gonna make it. Because I don't see any government selecting a different specification now.
1: Do you remember, did you guys have a moment in time where you decided to make it, let's call it like for the lack of a better word, open source, you just knew that interoperability is just key. And if you build regardless what type of technology if it's going to be monopolistic then governments will be a little bit skeptical but you could argue that you can take all the market if the government selects you
0: yeah we basically had this from the start we just believed the most important thing here is that we have a hyperloop that works and that can scale up that has the maximum long-term network potential and as long as we maximize that pie, we will find a nice piece to build our company around. Uh, so we've been very open from the start. We, we reached out in 2018 all to all the other hyper companies to say, Hey, let's standardize towards a single uh, system. Uh, we've been uh, always involved in, in, in the different, uh, initiatives to open it up. Uh, we've shown uh, videos and uh, documentation, just how everything works because we want people to, to learn more about it and, and trust it and go from there. Uh, And uh, yeah, we have lots of smart things that we've integrated into our vehicles which which give us a very strong position in the market, even if the infrastructure is completely standardized. Got it. And just to change gears a little bit,
1: what drives you to keep on going while dealing with such a difficult problem?
0: I just like the big challenge. (laughs) The reason that we're doing this is, of course, we've got a passion for transfer mobility, creating this connected world that's the first driver right but it's also it's such a big challenge it's really nice you've got the the politics you've got the engineering you've got the spatial integration and the planning and setting up the partnerships and there's so much enthusiasm in this market right you talk with people who really see what they could how this could change their lives and they want to help right they want to help get us off the ground so there's so much energy in this market and of course there's there's different bubbles, right? And there's also bubbles where people are very skeptical about Hyperloop, and that's good because that criticism helps us to improve the product further. But in general, people are very positive, and that's just a really fun fun ride. And because we have managed to cut this product up into all these bite-sized pieces, you have lots of moments of celebration and uh, yeah. And then going again for the next uh, step. So it's, I said before it's, it's more a marathon than a sprint, but it's more like a, a continuous series of sprints, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: what is the worst advice you have received in this journey? I think the
0: worst advice is on Hyperloop probably is to try to get to markets with a dumped down version of Hyperloop, right? To try to address a different market. Because if you don't keep your long-term vision intact and really develop a product that really fits what it needs in the long term, it will be very distracting for the for both your business developers, for engineers. Uh, so you really have to keep focused on the long-term vision, and of course, you you need to work with minimum viable product and and smaller tests and so on. But they really need to fit with exactly what you want to do in the long term, and not try to take a shortcut and develop maybe something just different to get to market faster because it will distract and you will not make the ideal product for, for what is needed. So that's, that's something that we've really stuck to. And
1: there are a bunch of investors listening to this podcast. Like what would be your 30 seconds, one minute pitch and where
0: can they find you? Hype Loop is the only real sustainable modality that will allow us to accommodate the two and a half times growth in demand for transportation. As HART, we're leading the pack in developing the technology and building the partnerships with governments to get this product off the ground. We've defined a simple specification that will allow it to scale so that we can sell the most profitable section of hybrid the vehicles. And we're already building up an order book so that we can do a strategic uh, sale towards 2030 with uh, more than 10 times multiple from the current investments. So uh, join us and you can find us at uh, heart.global. Amazing, amazing. And also like I, I like, I really
1: like the background and the story of the team you guys were working on racing cars. Clearly you have tremendous talent in electronics and hardware. You are clearly passionate and mission driven. And I think you've, gone such a long way while keeping the eyes on the ball on the long-term vision i'm i'm just super super excited about it
0: that's great to hear yeah. thank you yeah it's uh, it's been an amazing ride we like to say enjoy the journey right because that's both because we have a long journey to get where we want to go but also we're developing a transport system so better make something that enjoy the journey uh and uh, yeah thank you for for having me on the podcast it was a, it was an enjoyable talk with you
1: of course. Thanks very much for taking the time, Ars. Really enjoyed it. And good luck. <laughs>
0: yeah, let's make, an let's make it happen.
1: Let's make it happen.